<laughs> oh, me. Good to be here with you. Clemson won and Carolina won, so everybody's happy. <laughs> I just got to tell you all a quick story. This really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my sermon, but my son was telling me this the other day. He went to a conference down in Myrtle Beach, and he met this person down there, this lady. They're big Clemson fans. They go to Clemson ball games all the time, and her husband likes to hunt, so he had a, he had a a Labrador retriever. They take this Labrador retriever to Clemson and let him kind of tailgate with him, you know. And I think the husband goes into the into the game, and she sits out there with his dog and watches it on their big screen TV while they're tailgating. And uh, she was telling him that this uh, this other people were out walking around. This little duck, little female hen duck, and they dress this little duck up. You know, they put a little, I guess, I haven't seen a picture, but they tell me they put a little thing on it. looks like a tiger and put little foots on the, on the duck, and they kind of walk around with the duck. Have you, any of you seen this duck? I don't know. My son. <laughs> and, uh, and so they have a little leash on this duck, walking this little duck around. And, and uh, matter of fact, I was telling my brother this story yesterday. He said, I've seen that duck. That duck's come by us all the time. And uh, so he said a couple, a couple of games ago, the um, <clears throat> this this duck was coming along there walking this little duck and she said my, my husband told this lady she said ma'am a little girl was walking she said I'm telling you what you better get that duck out of here my dog loves to hunt and he will grab that duck <clears throat> so she got him on out of there well they went on away and ball game started and lady said she was sitting there watching the ball game and didn't realize it but the dog had left. A little bit later, here comes the dog with the duck in his mouth. <laughs> and the lady who owned the duck just chasing after this dog with the leash kind of along behind the dog. She said, thank goodness our dog had a soft mouth because he did not hurt that duck. <laughs> to me, that is a funny story. But uh, that really has nothing to do with me. Other than maybe uh, something related to ducks because I love to duck hunt. Duck season is coming close. I was, uh, my brother and I, I have an tw- identical twin brother. If he walked into the back door of this church, if he walked in, you wouldn't be able to tell us apart. I mean, he could stand up here, you wouldn't be able to tell us apart. Matter of fact, I could send him to preach my message, and you wouldn't know whether it was me or him. <laughs> so uh, we look alike, we talk alike, we act alike, we think alike, we like to do the same stuff. We were out in Arkansas three years ago, getting ready for opening day of duck season. And when we get ready for opening day, we usually go out there two or three days early and scout around, look around, see if we can find us some ducks. You know, when you go duck hunting, you want to find, be around some of them. So we were jumping, scouting around. The, um, so when, we were, when you're scouting, you don't want to put anything in your boat that looks like you're actually hunting. You know, you don't want your gun in the boat. You don't want your shells in the boat. You don't want anything in that boat to alarm a game warden that you're shooting ducks out of season because that, that's not good. So we didn't have anything in our boat. No guns, no shells, anything. Well, it was, it was the, the, the afternoon, the next, seat, next day opened up on a Thursday. So we were out there looking around on Wednesday and getting late Wednesday afternoon. My brother said, let's go check out this one hole. We call it the Chuck E. Cheese hole. Got a little bit of water in it, I think. Water was kind of low that year. 
So we pulled up. We went up on a little creek. We pulled up on this creek. And my brother jumps out, getting his GPS ready. Now, when my brother runs a GPS, if he gets lost with a GPS, we're lost. <laughs> He's the best I've ever seen. I'm not really that good with it. So he was getting his GPS, trying to figure out with his compass where we needed to go because we had to walk about 400 yards to the Chuck E. Cheese hole. I'd never been there before. So he's up there in the front, got out, standing on the bank, getting his stuff together. Well, I jump out, standing beside the boat. Now, the edge of the boat was right here. I was standing in the water about this deep. And um, I said, I think I'm going to get my G- John Roberts GPS. John Roberts is my son. He goes with us all the time. I said, I'm going to think I'm going to get John Roberts GPS. I think it's in, in your boat, in your, your dry storage here. So I lift up this dry storage. And down in the corner is this uh, GPS. It's my son's GPS. It's laying down in that dry storage box. I said, I think I'm, I'm going to cut it on and just kind of, you know, see if I can get, when I get to the, to the Chuck E. Cheese hole, I can mark it and I'll have it in, my, in his GPS. So I pick it up. And my brother turns around and sees me holding my hand there. And remember, I'm standing in water about this deep, ledge of the boat right here. And I am unwinding this cord. And all of a sudden, that GPS disappears. I don't know where it went. I look at my brother and said, have you seen, you didn't see my GPS? He turns around and said, well, you had it in your hand. Where is it? He said, did you drop it in the water? I said, no, I don't think so. He said, well, won't you start looking? Well, I backed up just a little bit and started reaching down in there, pulling up dirt and mud and leaves and everything. I mean, it's in this deep water. You know, just everything is on the bottom of a little creek bed. Couldn't find it. He said, well, I think I'm going to head on over here and see if I can see if there's any ducks in the Chuck E. Cheese hole. When I get back, hopefully you'll find this GPS. Well, probably an hour and a half later, I'm still looking around. I mean, I work out probably as far as from here to that wall there in a circle around that boat looking for this GPS. I take my walking stick and I stuck it right there where I was because I knew that I was right where I was. That's where, if it dropped, that's where, sure where it should be. Well, I work around and work around. He comes walking up probably an hour and 15, 20 minutes later. He said, you found that GPS? I said, no, I can't find it. It's gone. It's not in the boat. It's not in the storage problem. It's not in the water. I don't know where it is. Let me tell you something, man. If you hunt much and you lose your GPS and you got all those little coordinates and all those little spots that you hunt, that you fish on, I mean, it's bad news. And I hated to call my son and tell him I lost his GPS. But I did. We headed on back home. It was getting late. late. We're not home. We hunted. We stayed in place called Stuttgart, Arkansas, about 45 miles from that creek where I lost this GPS back to the motel. We go by Walmart, and I buy a rake, because I said, after we get through hunting in the morning, remember, the season's open up the next morning, I'm going to go back over there, and I'm going to start raking up stuff, because i got to find this GPS. So we get back to my motel room. Now remember, all of our hunting gear is still in the room. We haven't had it in the boat. We haven't had it. We, the only thing we had in the boat was the GPS, and that was about it, and our life jackets. All our hunting gear is still in the room. Been there for three days. Well, we get back there, and we start getting all of our hunting stuff together because the season's open next, next morning, getting all of our shells together, getting our gloves together, all the stuff we do. And, we, and, and I was in there, and I carry a hunting bag 
And this is it. I brought it up here. Nothing fancy about the hunting bag. But uh, I was reaching around in this hunting bag, down in the bottom of it, feeling around, and all of a sudden, feel that bring that GPS out of that bag. Now, you tell me how to get in there. I don't know. A miracle. A miracle. I can't, I just, my brother said, if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't believe it. But it's a miracle. Have you had a miracle happen in your life lately? We saw a miracle happen this morning right there. A little girl named Chloe accepted Jesus Christ into her life. That is a miracle. When a heart is radically changed for Jesus, it's a miracle. We know some other miracles that have happened. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over to John. Turn over to John. And let's just look at one or two of these. Over here in John. John chapter 2. One of the, the first miracle that Jesus performs involves water. Involves a wedding. A wedding at Cana of Galilee. Jesus and some of his disciples have, have been invited to go to this wedding. Jesus' mother is there. And it says here in chapter 2 of John, chapter 2, verse 6. We'll start here in verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now, that's a pretty big pot. Six of them. That's a lot of water. Look what happens here. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some of the water, some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who, who had drawn it, drawn the water knew where it came from. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cha- cheaper wine about the, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And listen to this, verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs. John does not necessarily call this a miracle, even though it is a miracle. He calls it a sign. Now, what do signs do? They point us to somewhere else other than just the miracle. This miracle points us to exactly what happened here in verse 11. It says, Jesus, this is the first of his miraculous signs. Jesus performed in Canaan. He thus revealed his glory. And look where. And his disciples put their faith in him. Those disciples. Now, who were those early disciples? Well, it was John who wrote this book here. Andrew who led his brother to G- Peter, Simon Peter to Jesus, and Nathaniel and Philip. They were probably with Jesus there. And he says, they put their faith in Jesus. Well, my question is, 
What about those servants who saw Jesus turn, turn the water into wine? Doesn't say anything about them putting their faith in Jesus. What, what about this master ceremony? Doesn't say anything about him. It just says disciples trusted in Jesus a little bit more maybe. So we got a miracle here of Jesus turning water into wine. Now flip over with me to another one here. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse, uh, let's see, it's 46. It says, once more he visited Cana. Huh, he's back in Cana here. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's back in Cana of Galilee. Where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Capernaum was a few miles away from Cana. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Now look at this, verse 53. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So this man, he and all his household did what? Believe. This sign allowed this man trust in Jesus. This miracle. Now we can go on and on and on and look at some of these miracles. I mean, just a few chapters over, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Little, you know, a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, feeds 5,000 people. Jesus heals a man that couldn't get into this pool heals a blind man, another sign. After every one of these signs, John says they point to people trusting in Jesus. Over in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, another unbelievable miracle. And you know what the granddaddy of all the miracles are? The de- granddaddy of all the signs, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Look what John says over here. Look in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Starting with verse 30. This is the reason that John writes this book. This is his purpose right here. Verses 30 and 31, this is what he says. John chapter 20, starting with verse 30, says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs. We know he walked in water. We know he healed the sick. We know he raised Lazarus from the dead. We know he turned water into wine. 
and we can go on and on. He did many other ones too. We don't even know about those. In the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then look at verse 31. But these are written that you may what? Believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So every one of these miracles, every one of these instances that we read about have a purpose to turn people to trust in Jesus. That's his purpose there. So people will believe in him. Jesus is in the miracle, I call it the miracle-making business. That's what he does. You ever heard of a miracle that turns something from being happy to not being happy? I mean, when I found that, when I found that GPS, man, I was happy as a lark because I could call my son back and say, hey, we found your, your GPS. Whenever a miracle happens, you go from maybe not being too happy to being happy, from being depressed and despondent to being joyous and happy and excited. Whenever a miracle happens, it's good news. And that's what we see here in John with Jesus and these miracles. I have three children. My son, John Robert, my oldest, grown, married, two beautiful little girls, one Emma Kate, third grade, Avery, kindergarten. He lives in Lexington, not far from where I live now. He's the one that told me about the dog. And then my middle daughter, Carrie, married to Patrick, live in North Augusta. He's an associate pastor at First Baptist Church, North Augusta. She has three children. Kaylee, who's in the third grade. Jackson, who they named after my last name. Preschool. And then Catherine Grace. And that's what I want to tell you about Catherine Grace. Another miracle. You see, three and a half years ago, my wife and I got a phone call from my daughter Carrie. She was sitting, she was, she was in her thir- third trimester of pregnancy with Catherine Grace. She said, Mom and Dad, I'm at the obstetrician. They've done ultrasound. And they see something going on with the brain of the baby. They're not quite sure, but it looks like there's an area in the brain that's swelling more than should be. They're going to send me to a specialist. Well, when my wife and I heard that, we got off the phone. Immediately, together, we started praying for that baby. I called my buddy Marvin. I told you about Marvin last week. I said, Marvin, I need you to pray. I said, we're not getting some very good results. Not getting some good information about this baby that my daughter Carrie is carrying. 
Immediately, Marvin said, let me pray for you. So on the phone, he prayed a beautiful, beautiful prayer for that baby. Two weeks later, my, well, a week later, my daughter went to the, to the uh, specialist, did another ultrasound. The specialist said, well, looks like that baby might be bordering on what they call hydrocephaly. Means an enlarged atrium of the brain is collecting and it's growing and it's, it's, it can cause some serious issues neurologically and all that. So I continued to pray uh, and continued to pray and continued to spread the word to all my buddies in my camo class, all my friends, all my relatives. Keep praying for this baby. My wife, my daughter went back to that same specialist two weeks later. Did another ultrasound. Specialist said, looks like this swelling is going down. But let me check in two more weeks. She goes back two weeks later. Specialist said, I think everything's looking good with this baby. Matter of fact, I think you can go back to your regular doctor and be delivered in a regular hospital because what they were going to do was take my daughter put her in a special hospital where they could have all the specialists there to even start operating on this baby the minute that baby was born. She said, I don't think you need that. I was rejoicing. Carrie had that baby called her Catherine Grace. Beautiful little red-headed girl. Her pediatrician did a kind of a brain scan a couple of weeks after that baby was born. And she t- that pediatrician told my daughter that you've got an exceptionally normal child. A miracle. God performed a miracle on that baby, I, I believe. Through prayer. Miracles happen. And God wants to perform a miracle in each of our lives to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our witness, to strengthen everything about us, to let us know that he's still in control. Miracles happen. Have you seen a miracle in your life lately? I want to encourage you to vote. I think this is the most important time election that I've ever seen in my life. We need to vote. And we need to vote that we have a miracle change in our country also. We saw a miracle up here in the baptism of Chloe. God is in the heart and life changing business changing a person from headed to somewhere totally separated from him, to headed toward life and love and eternal life through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
John said, For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his son Jesus. So that you will not have to do what? Perish. But that much might have what? Eternal life. That's why he wrote that book. So you might believe in Jesus and have everlasting life. Father, I want to thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you, Father, for just showing up sometimes. Just showing us some things that sometimes we just can't explain. Thank you, Father, for performing miracles in our lives. Thank you for healing things, healing people, and just like my little grandbaby. All because of you. Thank you that we have the privilege and the opportunity and the liberty to come together, pray together, worship together. And Father, I pray that we might see a miracle in our lives real soon. Even maybe today. Something we just can't explain. But we know that you're at work in each of our lives. Thank you for little Chloe and the life that you have for her. And the witness she can have through the years, standing up for you, being a beacon for you as she lives through her life, trusting in you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is, well, Amazing Grace. And um, if you want to accept Christ in your life, you accepted Christ, we'll be glad to tell you about that. But just come forward, indicate that publicly. All right.